You're listening to Sportsnet Today on the official home of your Calgary Flames. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. And we were lifted up in the air and out. Greer battling forward at center as it comes back to Hedman. Hedman off Asimov's stick and in behind the Flames net. And that'll do it. The Sea of Red rises here at Scotiabank Saddledome as the Flames snap a four-game losing streak with a very impressive 4-2 victory over the Lightning. Happy Monday. Welcome, everyone, to Sportsnet Today. My name is Peter Klein, hanging out with you guys in this slot for the next couple of days. As always, want your thoughts on the fan feedback line, 960-960. Give us a text on what you thought of the Flames win on Saturday against the Bolts. Game coming up tonight against the Florida Panthers. A few familiar faces in that one. A couple storylines to get into. Uh, Going to be a busy show. We have... Uh, Emily Sadler coming up at 1.30. We have Doug Plagans coming up at 2 for a view from the other side. So a lot to do on the show today as we come to you from the DL Basement Systems downtown studio for Doug Lacey's Basement Systems. Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation Walls. We have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They are all things basementy. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. I'm Peter in here. Cam and Taylor are in there. Do you prefer Cam or Cameron? I've never asked you that. Honestly, yeah, kind of depends on the day. Okay. Uh, I've gone by. I've gone by a lot of names. <laughs> I'm sure I'm you still, have. I'm still I'm waking up by. as well. Yeah. Uh, so is today a Cam day or a Cameron day? Uh, today's a Cameron day. I think. All right. We'll all right. Well, Cameron's that. in the other room along with Tay or Taylor. We'll just go with Taylor. Or which do you prefer? Really does not matter. All right, great input as always. Um, So we got a lot to do here on the show today. Um, We're going to be hearing from a number of members of the Calgary Flames, a couple from the Florida Panthers, who you may recognize as this show rolls along. But we begin today with uh, what you may have heard at the top of this program, and that is the Calgary Flames' victory over the Lightning of Tampa Bay, a 4-2 win. And... I understand there are a lot of people, and I I will include myself in this, who are team tank, right? Like, want to be as bad as possible, lose as many games as humanly possible so they can get a couple more ping pong balls and the opportunity of getting a fantastic talent at the top end of this year's NHL draft. And so, um, when you are team tank, it's kind of, it's, it's like the witching hour, only not as fun. Uh, losses become wins. Wins become losses. Because you start, at some point, you start cheering for the losses. Now, I don't do that because um, in some way or another, I talk about this team an awful lot. And talking about a team that just loses all the time, uh, been there, done that. Don't enjoy it. So I, I, just, I just hope everyone has fun. But obviously, there are times where you, you would maybe prefer this team to not do quite as well. Again, if you are ultimately looking for this team to tank. But I do think games like Saturday, whether you are team rebuild or retool or whatever, games like Saturday are actually quite important and actually quite big for this team, regardless of what direction they go. Because I do think 
one thing that kind of gets lost in rebuilds, and we will discuss rebuilds gone wrong uh, a little bit later on. Shout out Ottawa Senators, DJ Smith getting fired uh, a little bit ago. We'll be talking about that coming up in hour number two. But one of the things that you need for a successful rebuild, eventually you need to learn how to win. I know that sounds ridiculous because a lot of these guys were playing on wildly successful teams all through um, their like minor hockey career where they were scoring 19 goals a game into junior, into the American Hockey League, into the NHL. Like A lot of these guys have been playing on teams that have won before, but it does take something different at the NHL level to win these games. You, it, it's, it is not enough to just be young and talented. I, I think there is a little bit more to it. And I think nights like last night, not that this is franchise altering and, oh, well, you don't actually have to rebuild because they beat Tampa Bay in December. But I think nights like Saturday night are important because you are facing a pretty good Tampa Bay Lightning team. Um, not the, the Tampa Bay Lightning in capital letters of a few years ago, but still, like Nikita Kucherov's there, point there, Stamkos there, Vasilevsky is getting there, uh, Victor Hedman and so on and so forth. Um, that's a, a very good team that has experienced the highest of highs at the NHL level. And while they weren't very good for two periods in the third period, they came up, like walked right up to you, looked you in the whites of your eyes and just smacked you in the mouth and Calgary to their credit smacked back. And I think those types of performances are important when you have a young team and you're trying to build a, a foundation and build um, build a program and build, just build something, uh, which we've been dying for here in Calgary. But when you're looking to, to do that, I do think nights like Saturday are important. Now they are much more important when they happen in April and May and God willing June, but it has to start in November, December, January, February. And that's where a lot of rebuilding teams kind of lose it. You, you're just, okay, we're going to be as bad as possible for a couple of years. And then we're just going to be good again. And we're going to win a Stanley Cup. And then you're Detroit and you're Buffalo and you're Ottawa and you're Edmonton like six times. And you're Vancouver until this season. And it just, it never turns over. I think having that experience of, okay, the wheels are kind of falling off. Can we just keep this between the white lines for the next 15 minutes and drive this thing home with the win? And then to come back, Zari gets the goal with Hegel all over him. I think those are really important for guys like Sharon Govich, guys like Zari, guys like Pospisil, even guys like Uyghur, um, guys who maybe haven't been to the, the, the mountaintop before. To, to have those types of experiences and to see like, okay, we started good, they were kind of bad, but then they came back and we speed wobbled there for a little bit, but we're able to see what it takes to get it back on track, what it takes to start taking it back to them and to respond when they've come up and just smacked you in the mouth, I think is a, a it's a nice sign. Again, it's not franchise altering. Long term, we're not going to be in a few years when they are parading with the Stanley Cup down 17th Avenue. I don't think anyone is going to go, you know where this really started? Uh, December 16th, 2023 against the Lightning. But it's just, it's these small building blocks that you need when you are looking to, to build that foundation like Calgary is looking to do. Whether it's rebuilding or retooling or whatever re you want to be doing here, the, the Flames need nights like last night. 
And I think for an organization where a lot of people are anticipating that this team is going to look a lot different 12, 18 months from now, and uh, by different, I don't necessarily mean better. I do think that having having these types of games and actually celebrating these types of performances is important for one's sanity because there's going to be, I think, a lot of suckage over the, the next little while. Um depending on how things go and depending on what direction this franchise wants to go. But I, I do think that this is one of those ones like, hey, celebrate the victories when you get them because sometimes they don't often come. But I, I think also what's important is it's not just old dudes stepping up, right? Like it's not last season where it's Lucic a bunch, it's Lewis a bunch in these situations. It's like Sharon Govich continues to ball out. And I know uh, Logo has talked about that in this time slot a little bit. So we're not going to um, delve on it too, too much. But that kid's shot is a weapon. Like, he has a bomb. If he was NHL 2004, dated reference for the people in the other room, but if this is NHL 2004, you're hearing Jim Houston go, Howitzer! Like, that, that is the type of shot that this kid has. And it is the type of weapon that the Flames haven't had a ton of over the last decade, you know? And I'm not saying he's the best player of the last decade. It's just, he he is unique, right? Like they have Lindholm right now who has a great shot that just for whatever reason, he doesn't use it as much as I would like. You've, in the past, you had Tyler Toffoli who had that shot, but even like Kachuk can, Monaghan can, like it's not just muffins from the, the top of the circle floating in towards the goal. Like th these are NHL players who have decent decent shots, but this is and has the potential to be an absolute weapon and to, to steal a basketball term, uh, an opportunity to score from distance where Calgary hasn't necessarily had that before. It was Johnny does a bunch of fancy stuff and then he throws a pass in front and it either bounces in off of someone or creates an opportunity or Monaghan scores like the um, Anderchuk Holmstrom type of goals where he's getting the hell beat out of him in front of the goal and uh, ends up putting it in, even though he's cracked four ribs and doesn't have a hip anymore. Like it, it's those types of goals where it's really, really hard and you have to really grind and battle for it to have a guy who can score those types of goals and create that type of offense. It just makes life easier when you don't have to crash, bang, bang, boom all the time to get your goals. It's the NHL. The goalies are huge and quite good. You're still going to have to really work for a lot of your goals, but it's nice when it's not all of them. And I think Sharon Govich provides uh, a little bit of that as well. He's got 11 goals on the year, and it's exactly what you want from a young player. And I was as critical as any uh, about how the Flames were utilizing him at the start of the season. But I, I think that kind of, again, it's a learning experience, and that's the type of thing that you want with a young team that you're looking into, looking to build into something. It, it wasn't just, all right, kid, here's the top line, go. Because again, that can start to build up a culture that is just like, okay, well, I mean, to steal this from a guy who's like nine coaches ago, but Bob Hartley did a lot of like always earned, never given or something along those lines. Um I think having that where he has earned this spot, it wasn't just, okay, well, we traded Tyler DeFoley for you, so we may as well put you on the top line and see what happens. Oh, you suck? Well, doesn't matter. We're still going to still gonna put you up there. Sharon Govich had to work his way up there, and it didn't take long. Like, we're 30 games into the season, but he starts out on the fourth line, grinds away with Greer and Ruzichka and, and whoever else, and then, okay, well, a spot has opened up. Here's an opportunity. We're shifting things around. Let's put you in this spot because you have earned this opportunity. He goes out and has contributed in, in I think, a, a big-time way and I, I think has helped with Lindholm and, to a lesser extent, Manjapani in, in helping them get going because I, I don't, like, Lindholm 
has been frustrating. Manjapani, we kind of give him a break, but like he's he's far down the list of things that need to get figured out. But eventually, it would be nice for him to to really genuinely get going a little bit. Um, but Sharon Govich has brought a bit of a spark to that line that that wasn't there before, and so it, it's nice to see those sorts of things start to work out. Instead of he's on the fourth line, it's not going well. We all whine and complain about oh, he's not getting the opportunities. Why aren't they giving him the opportunities? He's gone out and earned those. And I, I just, I really respect that. I like the course that it has taken for for Sharon Govich. And I think the Flames in general have done a pretty good job with that this year. Like Coronado balled out in the preseason. We all loved him. We are all going to love him as an NHL player. And I think he will be here sooner rather than later um, for times where not half the team is sick. But he wasn't necessarily producing. And instead of just, ah, you know what, grind through it and we'll see. You go, okay, you know what, it's not working. It is working for other people. They're going to step in. You have to go to the American Hockey League and and figure this out and earn your way back up. Same thing, Pospisil. Like Pospisil, Kadri, and Zari have been really, really good. But there was a stretch where it was Kadri and Zari were really good and Pospisil was there. And Pospisil has to sit instead of just, well, you're a kid, so we're going to play you. We're a kid. We're going to give you some leash here, but going to have to sit for a game. And then you get sick. But uh, I don't think they planned that. (laughs) But I I do like the the approach that the Flames are taking with some of these guys. And I think it's starting to pay off when you see guys like like Sharon Govich and and Pospisil to a certain extent. Like that that line is starting to to click here a little bit more for the Flames. Uh, Not a little bit more, a lot more. Like that's... That's the Flames' best line, and it's their best line, I think, by a bunch. And it's it's just, it's really great to see. And you love to see Zari last night. Like, he is so good at simplifying things where, because I, I didn't necessarily know what to expect from him. He's not the biggest dude. Um, he, he's not absolute burner or everything like that. He just makes the smart play all the time. And it's it's a lot of times, like, it. Th- this sounds almost insulting, but it's the simple play all the time. But that bleeping works i'm way too used to just being able to swear so caught myself on that one you're welcome cam the delay is on you're fine oh okay well then he no i'm kidding um but no like he he does these things that just make sense and work like all of his goals come from like right in the face of the goalie and the goal that he scores on saturday night a lot of players they have haggle all over him are gonna still try to make a difficult pass across and put it in front and something like that or some like a, a weird drop pass that ends up getting stolen or something. He's just like, you know what? I've been taught for um, the entirety of my hockey life. Just put the puck on net and see what happens. And he did. And Vasilevsky just happened to whiff on it and it goes into the net. But he so often does the simple play effectively. And you really like to see that. And I wonder if that's a bit of Nazem Kadri kind of um, uh, the, the, the tutelage of Nazem Kadri, I, I think, helping out there. But that line's been great. And it's it's a lot to like from a Flames standpoint, uh, coming off of that one. Again, not saying they're going to win the Stanley Cup. None of that. It's just, these are the things that when you're looking at a retool or a rebuild, and quite frankly, you're me, and you talk about this team um, every day, you you look for the positives of those things sometimes. Uh, Let's go to the text line for the first time today. At 960-960, someone just texted in, Hey, Klein. Hey, texter. Uh, enjoy the wins, embrace the losses. That's a pretty good way of looking at it. Then you're, you you always win. If you win, it's like, you know what? That was fun. The sporting team that I cheer for put the puck in the net more than the opposite team, and I enjoyed it. it it's good to have that. And then when they lose, it's like, you know what? Better for the draft pick anyway. So it just, it, it helps you with that. There are some times where it's going to be ugly, but you, you embrace it, and that's fine. 
Uh, Matt in Cochran texting in. All I want is this team to come out of the 2024 draft with Celebrini, Aginla, and Yakumchuk. Is that too much to ask? No, no, not at all. I, I think that's very reasonable to want to alter the course of your franchise in just one draft and completely turn things around. Completely reasonable and totally fine. But yes, I I would mark that one under best case scenario. I think that one's that's probably that. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's not too much to ask. We will see how the, the ping pong balls fall. But no, I've I've definitely it's weird. I've I've done this a long enough time now where I've done the man, this team's battling for a playoff spot. I've done the holy crap, they're first in the division, and I've done the well, it's January second, let's do the mock draft simulator for the day. Um, and it's weird that this team is just kind of trapped between all of those right now. Uh, we do have a game tonight. It is the uh, Florida Panthers in town. Not much for storylines in this one. Can't really think of a whole lot to talk about. Not a whole lot of, I was going to say animosity. There probably actually isn't. But not not a whole lot of um, familiarity with either of these sides. It is a, it's a game that, it's two teams that shouldn't be linked. Um, that will forever be linked because of the the trade uh, that that happened a couple of off seasons ago, and of course because of uh, the wonderful career of Ole Jokinen. But these are two teams that are going to be just kind of intertwined for forever because of the moves that were made. We're going to get to all of the particulars of that uh, of this matchup uh, a little bit later on. We have uh, Doug Plagans coming on at 2 p.m. to talk about what's happening with the uh, Florida Panthers, how they're doing. We're going to hear from Matthew Kachuk. Uh, we're going to hear from Huberto, hear from Uyghur, hear from Bennett. You can kind of put together the theme of the 2 o'clock hour. Uh, but there's a couple of big notes from this game tonight. Uh, Markstrom is back. Uh, if you missed it over the weekend, Markstrom gets called up. Wolf gets sent down along with Solovyov because Tanev is coming back. No issue with any of those moves. I know we all love us some Dustin Wolf. I would imagine we get a lot of him soon. Um, but quite frankly, of the three goalies right now, he is third. So he gets sent down. He's going to ball out in the American Hockey League, continue to be just better than everyone down there. And he will get another chance. I think that's all we have to say about that. But the big news of it is Jacob Markstrom checks back in along with Tanev. Uh, Osterley comes out of the lineup for Tanev to head back in. We're going to hear from some of the people in charge of those decisions. First, the guy who actually made those decisions. Uh, let's hear from head coach Ryan Huska, who spoke with the media earlier today. Just a couple of guys mentioning about um, with that second period specifically and kind of a recipe that looks really good for this team. Well, you know, when it looks like that, it can be very successful. Is that, you know, something that you guys look at a period and, and think put that together more often sure um there was pace from our team there was good compete and we had contributions from all four lines and six of our defensemen so that is kind of you know what you would like to see every every game for a full 60 minutes i mean that's what we feel like we're capable of it's uh, obviously jonathan playing against his former team it, it does seem like it's been a challenge of him lately just what have you seen on him the past two three weeks um it's the, a little bit of the same i mean he He's, he's getting some opportunities with Michael and Cole now, and it's just a matter of staying with it. That's the biggest thing. And sometimes when players that expect to score aren't scoring, um, there's a tendency to think that that's all they are. But there's more to his game than just that. He brings other things to the table, and it's, sometimes it's important for him to remember that too. You can see the change in his play away from the puck. Now he's responsible. He understands his positioning as to where he's, he needs to be. Um, he's committed to that side of the game. Um, so if he if he trusts that side of it, eventually the other side will turn. We've made the 
Kachuk, Huberto trade, really about those two guys. But Lindsey Weger has played really well for you since yeah. that trade. Do you feel like he's kind of like a forgotten man in that whole storyline? I don't know if he's forgotten. I mean, he was a big part of that trade when in our eyes for sure and and getting him back and then getting him signed and then seeing what he was able to do really after the all-star break is where we saw him play uh, to the potential or or the way we expected him to play when he first came here and he's kind of carried that on this year so um, I don't think he was forgotten per se but I think he's really showing people how good of a defenseman he is right now. What kind of lift can Chris Tanev give your blue line and and team as a whole? Um, He is that security blanket maybe that um, when he's back there, guys feel better um, about if they had to make or if they happen to make a mistake, there's someone on the ice that's probably going to cover them up. Um, that's the way Chris is. So he's got a calming presence about him. He's got great leadership in the dressing room and he plays the game the right way. Just, Ryan, I know Connor Zary's worked really hard to improve his skating yeah. ever kind of since he was drafted or before that. That fourth goal the other night where he you know, kind of fends Brandon Hagel off the whole way off the ice. Would that have been possible for him a few years ago? Um, probably not, and not just because of the skating, but I think maybe because of the young guy strength and maturity and learning how to use your, your size or, or your positioning to your advantage a little bit more. Um, but that goal is, I think it's a, a good picture of why he's had success for us. Like he's, he's using his body the right way to position himself properly, and he's got great composure with the puck where he doesn't throw it away. Um, and he's learning how to make good decisions with it. So there's a good time to try to make a play. And I feel like more often than not, when there is a time where I shouldn't be making a play, he's making the right decision and putting it to an area where we can get it back. How's it feel to have Mark Sherman Tanev available for you tonight? Great for both of them. Happy to have them for sure. Just on, on Jonathan, like, like the contracting what is like is there a way the organization can alleviate that pressure like like how do you like maybe if if that pressure comes with that contract is there a way for you as a coach or organization to alleviate a little bit of that pressure sometimes yeah i think you have to look at pressure a different way like that's something that you've um, if, if you don't have pressure on you then you're not an impact player um, so that's something that he could turn around and, and flip it. So it's a positive thing for him. And that's, I mean, if I were to say that to him today, it's probably the advice I would give him. It's a good thing. I mean, because you are an impact player and you want to be that type of player. So now it's just about going and playing and, and trusting who you are. I know we've kind of gone over this a bit before, but yeah. looking back over the last two months, what has Connors already done for your realm and your team? Um, and maybe not just... Connor, Eric, there's a few other guys that have contributed as well. I think, one, there's a push um, from other guys to see, okay, there are some guys that can come in and play. Um, I think having the young energy around the room is a real important thing for a lot of people. And um, he's contributed. And that's, I guess, the third probably factor that you could say he's he's brought to our team. He's He's been impactful in the minutes and the games that he's played in where he's been able to generate for us. Mm-hmm. You... Uh have a couple of guys like Dustin and, and Ilya who come in and get some NHL time and then head back to the Wranglers. What's what's the message? What do you leave them with as, as they head back to the American League? There are certain things that we see in their games that you'll leave with or give them a little bit of feedback or give them your thoughts as to what they could continue to work on. Um, 
the the good part about the guys that we have that have this year bounced back up and down have have taken that to heart sometimes it's when you get sent down there's a tendency to let your foot off the gas and be a little disappointed but those guys have all gone down at certain times with the right mindset right attitude to work on the things that are going to allow them to be full-time players down the road so those guys have done that and that's typically what we do is we we give them that message as to what we'd like to see them continue to work on so there is Coach Huska, not to toot my own horn, but basically reiterating everything I was saying. Um, so once again, brilliant hockey analysis right here on Sportsnet 960, the fan from uh, at least three people's favorite fill-in host. Uh, <laughs> the text line, quite nice to me again. Someone texting in, what's the Huberto own goal prop? Man, we're going to talk about him more a little bit. I would love for this to be the turnaround for, for Jonathan Huberto. Probably won't be, but would love for it to be the, uh, the, the Jonathan Huberto uh, turnaround game. But yeah, we will uh, we will see what's going on here. Uh, for those of you who are being nice to me on the text line, I'm not just going to toot my own horn on here, but uh, you guys are very nice and thank you. But uh, someone texted in, survivors of the Young Guns era um, are praying we win a few more than that bunch of teams did. Yeah, that was that was about as bad. I don't want to say as bad as it can get because like the Thrashers have moved twice, but for the um for for actual like oh my gosh this is like th there was minimal hope aside from Jerome McGinley playing at the World Juniors um that the team didn't win and then didn't draft very well with all due respect to uh, a particular fellow who comes on here every now and then um it, it was just it was so bad. and then the jerseys were ugly it was all just terrible uh so yes hopefully it is um hopefully it's a little bit better than that and i think it will be because of what they do but yeah, it's, I, I just, I like how the flames are handling whatever is to come next. Uh, so far that they're handling the kids, I think in the way that you should, uh, time for us to take a break. We're going to have a lot more on the flames and the Panthers coming up in hour number two, but we switch our attention to the national football league coming up in our next segment as Emily Sandler is stopping by to talk about what was maybe not the most entertaining weekend of football, uh, but we have a lot of big storylines to discuss. Uh, so Emily will join us next here on Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Week 15 in the National Football League, just about in the books. One more game tonight. That is the Eagles taking on the Seattle Seahawks. Um, we definitely had a lot of football over the weekend. I don't know how much of it was good, but they definitely played and uh, a lot of big results anyway. So here to help us break it all down is Emily Sadler from Sportsnet.ca. Emily, how are you today? I'm good, Peter. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you very much. Um, I, I think, obviously, the biggest game of the day yesterday was uh, the Buffalo Bills against the Cowboys. And a few weeks ago, the knock on the Buffalo Bills was, yeah, maybe they're playing a bit better, but anytime they face a good team, they, they, they get beat. And now it's a couple of teams that I would qualify as good teams that they've beat in a row. Um, are, are the Buffalo Bills back, uh, I guess, is the, the biggest question coming out of the weekend. Uh, what, what say you? Yeah, it's such a hard question to answer, right? Because, like, how many times uh, have we said this season, like, yes, they're back. Oh, no, they're not. Oh, yes, they're back. Like, it, they're just so hard to read, right? And so it's dangerous to declare anything definitively about Buffalo. But I think it's definitely safe to say, like, they they are playing some of their best football right now. And that's, you know, got to be a relief if you're in Bill's Mafia. If you look at, as you just mentioned, you know, Chiefs last week, this week they take – you know, potentially the hottest team in the NFL right now in Dallas, and they really put a stomping on them. And 
Um, I think what's most impressive about yesterday's win in particular is just how they won, right? I loved how after the game, Josh Allen had this nice moment of levity where he said, I felt like the kid that didn't do anything in the class project, but I still got an A. <laughs> and I think if you're if you're a Bills fan, like you, you could almost consider that game the, like kind of one of the best wins of the season just because of how they won. They really relied on the run game. And I think when we look at how they've won a lot of their other, you know, closer games or, you know, probably more so the blowouts, right? Um, it's been the Josh Allen show. And this one didn't need to be. You look at his numbers and, and it was, they looked incomplete, right? He, I think he just completed seven passes, 94 yards, one touchdown. It was really the James Cook show. And so if you're looking at um, the way to victory for the Bills, like what's that one kind of missing piece that we've seen or that we wanted to see throughout the season in Buffalo is that run game. And so to see that kind of fire up, I think that's super, super promising and at the best time possible. Yeah, I would imagine seven completions for 94 yards and a touchdown. We could probably go back and find drives where Josh Allen had that. Yeah, um, right? I know. It, it was so weird. I had to do a double take with the stat line. Yeah, it's like, well, it's weird that only the passing hasn't updated. But and it's it's, <laughs> it's something they've been looking for for forever, right? Like it's it's been they, they want any time yeah. they would win with the run game, it was Josh Allen running the ball. So to take that pressure off of him and to, to save his body like that, that is huge if they can keep that going, right? Yeah, absolutely. And like what has been sort of the number one, like, you know, it's it's been the best thing about the Bills and the worst thing about the Bills is kind of Josh Allen, right? Like he has these <laughs> Superman skills um, that he can bring out at the best times, but he also, he's so often, you know, tried to do too much because he's had to, because as you know, like they really haven't had that run game. And so to see this other dynamic finally click, and I, I think it's really interesting to look back about a month, right? When they fired Ken Dorsey, they bring in Joe Brady, Joe Brady to replace him. And, and I know I was among those thinking like, oh, this is really interesting to see how this, you know, helps Josh Allen thrive when really it's the run game that's really thriving with him. So it's been a really neat element of what has been a really obviously up and down season in Buffalo. And, it, and it's just really promising to see that, you know, they were, they were down, they weren't out they're very much in this and just to see them kind of come up with new ways to win at this point of the season. Um, yeah. It was great to see and makes them a really, really interesting team down the stretch. Yeah. That they are going to be, cause I, I think they get in um, that they, they're going to be the mm -hmm. classic. Oh, don't want to face that team in the first round playoff team this year. I exactly. Think. Exactly. When you look at like all the skill level, right in the AFC, like, is there really a team right now that you would want to play less than no. Buffalo right now. And it's funny to say that about a team that's not in yet, but you know, they're kind of right back in there all of a sudden. And you're thinking like, this is a dangerous team. I do not want to play that team. Um, Dallas found that out the hard way on the opposite side of this. Uh, the, the Cowboys had a lot of momentum. Like you said, one of the hottest teams in the NFL and that comes to a screeching halt. Uh, Dak Prescott mm -hmm. only had 40 more passing yards than Josh Allen did, and he completed 14 more passes. Um, is this a concerning loss for Dallas, or just you ran into a good team and had a bad day? It's so hard to say. As they're, they're kind of similar to Buffalo, just in the way that like there have been these kind of roller coaster like swings with Dallas, and of course, whatever the Cowboys do, we, we're naturally going to blow it out of proportion a little bit. <laughs> but I do think it's concerning just in terms of like, look at the race that they're in right now. They're in that really tight NFC East. 
um, you know, had they had they pulled out this win, had they kind of kept that hot streak going, like, I mean, everyone was on board with, you know, Dak Prescott MVP, the Cowboys are the real deal, but they're sort of that team um, that, you know, really nothing matters until you get to the postseason. And if they can't set them up for set themselves up for success, just in terms of like landing that division title, landing that home field advantage, like that's going to be huge for them. And it's something that I don't often personally take into account so much, but you really can't ignore it with Dallas this year. You know, they're seven and zero at home, and they're three and four on the road. So it's a huge discrepancy there. And so if they if they kind of you know fumble a little bit down the stretch, like we know they're going to be in the playoffs, but we don't know if they're going to be able to set them up for any kind of success once they're there. This is such a strange year in general. Like just going over these teams, like. I, I'm pretty confident San Francisco is quite good. I think I'm confident Baltimore is. Uh, we'll get to them in a little bit here. Aside from that, I have no idea. Buffalo has looked great and looked terrible. Dallas has looked awesome, lost to Arizona. Kansas City has looked great at times and looked dreadful at times. Like, just, you go through the league and there's a lot of, I have no idea. Like, it just, it feels like a very strange year in the NFL. I, like, I could not agree more. It's so, you get whiplash every week, right? I've I've even laughed at, you know, I've, had the chance to do these awesome Monday afternoon chats on the radio with you guys. And, you know, every time I sort of come out strong with like an opinion on a team, they go and do the complete opposite. Like it's just, it's made it, you know, frustrating, but also like really fun because you genuinely don't know what to expect. But yeah, it's so hard to be able to like come out and say, this is the team. Like (laughs) this is the team to beat right now. Other than, as you said, the 49ers, um, you know, Baltimore looks pretty unstoppable right now, but each team has kind of had that hiccup. Um, and I think injuries have, of course, had a lot to do with that, but it's also just been a really, really weird year in terms of, you know, outcomes that no one saw coming. Yeah, like it feels like one of those years where it's either, oh, San Francisco won every playoff game by 20 and now they're in the <laughs> Super Bowl, or we get to, to the Super Bowl in Vegas and it's like, well, I guess it's the Browns and the Bucks. Like it, it just, it feels like one of those years like, where it, it totally could be. Could be. Like, yeah. That would be sort of the most fitting way to kind of end a season like this, right? Just like, why don't we just throw in like two of the wildest wildcard teams and like see what happens? <laughs> yeah, it, it feels like it could be that here. And honestly, a team that might fit in there, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, who at the beginning of the year, if you had them in the playoffs, it's like, well, yeah, that makes sense. But um, with the how the season started with uh, Burrow's injury, how it has started with a different Burrow's injury, uh, but they get a win on Saturday. I genuinely have no idea how they keep doing this. What have you seen from the Bengals that has them still uh, not comfortably in a playoff spot, but in a playoff spot here today? Yeah, it is. It is wild. I do not know. Like how, how are they doing this? How are they still doing this? It's, it's such a fascinating case study in, um, you know, having a strong system. I know that generally, like when you call someone a system quarterback, it's kind of like the worst thing you can say about a quarterback. But in this case, it's what Jake Browning is, and he's doing a phenomenal job. It just goes to show, like, the power of, you know, having that really strong connection between your top quarterback and your backup, um, having that system that is really, you're able to just plug in someone else um, who has thrived in it you know Browning has a almost a 75 percent completion percentage like it's not even that he's you know just barely scraping by like he's he's playing really well he's sort of your um 
it, it's just that best case scenario of a backup quarterback, right? And I think we're seeing the supporting cast, kind of all the other reasons around Joe Burrow that made the Bengals kind of a popular Super Bowl pick, right? Like they made a lot of improvements on their defense. They made a lot of improvements on their O-line. They have what is really one of the best um one of the deepest talent pools in terms of those position players in the run game and the wide receivers, we just weren't seeing that all season. And now it's sort of that dynamic of everyone's like all of a sudden just really rallying together because you can't rely on Joe Burrow. Um, you can't rely on, on, you know, Joe cool in the pocket, but Jake Browning has been pretty cool. So it's a fun story to watch. I'm what I'm curious about is, yeah, as you mentioned, they're in the playoffs right now. It They could easily, well, not easily, but, you know, they could be a playoff team. I just don't know what to expect from them or really if to expect anything from them if they actually do make the postseason. I don't know if it's just one of those, you know what, the victory is making the playoffs for them um, and and if they can kind of make any noise if they get there. Yeah, these next few weeks are going to be so interesting with so much on the line. Like we said, all of these teams feeling like they're kind of the same, Uh, which brings me to the NFC South. Um, you, you have the, the Buccaneers and the Saints tied for the, the lead in the division. Uh, the Falcons are a game back. That was a dreadful loss for the Falcons against the, the Panthers, oh who are officially Ooh. labeled the other team in the division. Um, the, <laughs> the, the, the Bucks, no one had real high expectations for this season. And the Saints, I don't think anyone can fully embrace what's happening there. I have no idea what is going to, to happen in, in this division. Uh, but luckily for me, you're the expert. Um, who would you pick? <laughs> Uh, who would you pick to, to win this division if you, you had to make a decision today, which uh, you, you absolutely do? <laughs> okay, so right now I'm with the Buccaneers. I think, you know, they had their kind of midseason lull, but they looked good yesterday. They're on a little win streak, a quiet win streak, I will say. Um, but really, I'm, I am team scrap the whole playoff system, and you can't win the division if you don't have a winning record. But I know that's not going to happen. I was talking about that last week, how much I just wanted the NFL to say, you know what? <laughs> no one from the NFC South gets in. <laughs> Which means, of course, that two teams from the NFC South will get in, I'm sure. <laughs> Some crazy fluke will happen and we'll have the Saints and the Bucks. But I think the Saints, or sorry, I think the Bucks, um, to me, they have, they have kind of the best pass in i wouldn't be surprised to see them land there i think baker mayfield has looked about as comfortable in an offense as he's looked in a while and um personally i i think that's great to see um they're kind of stepping up because they were sort of one of those kind of brink teams in my opinion you know after they after they went all the way with tom brady they still had a lot of those pieces in place and so they've been kind of a bit of a a wild card obviously maybe not literally, but um, it's been that kind of wildcard team in terms of just like, which direction are they going to go? And so is this going to be sort of their last hurrah? How much of a hurrah are we talking here? But I'm picking the Bucks to win the NFC South, and then I want to never talk about the NFC South again. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Like, can, can we just, can that, 
that that uh, that that's, get that over with. Yeah, can that Tampa Bay game? Can we do just regional broadcasts for those? Like how every yeah. every Raptor playoff game always was on NBA TV. Can that just be like an NFL Network like Thursday afternoon thing? Uh, so we can just get that one over with. But it's interesting because. Baker Mayfield, um, like like you said, he, he's comfortable in there. It's not superstar, but it's fine. Um, same thing kind of out in L.A. Like Matthew Stafford has not been the Matthew Stafford of a few years ago, even a couple of years ago, but it's been good mm-hmm. enough. And you look at the quarterback play across the league with all the injuries and stuff, like you, you don't need your quarterback to go out and win you a bunch of games. Just try to not lose it. And that's kind of the model that has worked for, for Tampa Bay and for the Rams, I think. Yeah, that's a great point, bringing the Rams in there, too. And they're they're one of those sneaky teams in the NFC that, again, you know, beginning of the season, they were one of those teams that were like, are they going to totally collapse? Are they going to totally rebuild or make some wild surge? And, I mean, they're, they're looking like maybe a playoff team. And so, yeah, it's interesting. There's just a lot of opportunity this year, um, you know, because a lot of the injuries are affecting all the scoreboard so much. But, It'll be, yeah, I, I just, I don't know what to make of like what we can kind of expect from those Brink teams that, you know, you love a good Cinderella story, but at the same time, when you sort of, when you see a team that is just barely limping into the playoffs, it's, it doesn't exactly make you excited to sort of see what they can do when they get there. One team that doesn't feel like that they are limping right now. We brought them up before, uh, but I do want to talk about the the Baltimore Ravens. Um, they, they've now won four in a row. Um, they, they brought in a new offensive coordinator at the start of the season, and it kind of feels like things are clicking right now. Like uh, a convincing win against Jacksonville. They get that wild overtime win against the Rams. Uh, they beat up the Chargers, but who doesn't? Uh, and then 34 against the Bengals. Like it, it feels like they're putting it together on offense. Defensively, this team has been good all season long. Uh, are we now living in a world where the Ravens are the most complete team in the AFC? Honestly, I think yes. And and it's just looking at their numbers, right? It's you look at okay, defensively, you've mentioned like we almost we almost take that for granted, right? that that Baltimore is going to have a good defense. But, you know, they're ranking among the best in locking down opposing passing games, first in yards per attempt against. They're allowing the fewest passing touchdowns, fewest rushing touchdowns. Like, it's a pretty lockdown unit. But the offense, this is what has really stepped up this year, and we're used to Lamar Jackson working his magic. But to see him have all of these weapons and so much depth there has been really, really fun to watch, and it's allowed him – to really thrive into the MVP front runner that I think he should continue to be down the stretch. Um, I can't help but think back to the summertime when there was all of that, you know, contract turmoil and, you know, teams actually literally releasing statements saying, no, we are not going to try to sign Lamar Jackson. We're not interested. And I'm just kind of wondering what the Atlanta Falcons are thinking about that decision right now, <laughs> because look at what he's doing. He's, he's so much fun to watch. And this, this team is just like there's really not there's really not a missing link and that makes them so dangerous and I I also just can't help but I almost don't want to acknowledge the injury front (laughs) you know obviously they've dealt with their fair share right Mark Andrews goes down that's Lamar Jackson's uh, favorite weapon being able to plug in Isaiah Likely into that tight end one spot speaks volumes to the depth that that we're talking about here but to see Lamar Jackson healthy and doing his thing in mid-December, you know, barreling towards the playoffs. It's just great to see because that's been kind of the biggest knock on him, which is unfair to hold injuries against someone like that. But 
you know, to see him really thriving at this point in the season, like I'm just genuinely looking forward to seeing what this team can do in the playoffs because it's been a while since we've been able to see that. Yeah, I, I'm excited. And there has been a bit of a knock on Lamar's postseason performances as well. And I'm I, I'm a fan yeah. of his. Like, I, I uh, full disclosure, I'm a Raider fan. And they were one of the teams who released a statement saying that they weren't going ah. to be pursuing. And <laughs> uh, I'm thrilled with that decision. I truly am. Although, I mean, averaging 31 <laughs> points the last two games, who am I to complain from a Raider standpoint? But, um, hey, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, you, you like like the, the Raiders um, would, would, like, so many teams would be so much better off right now. The, the Falcons would have already mm. clinched their division. If they had oh Lamar Jackson, so I'm, I'm 100%. just, I'm just happy to see. It's so weird, but I'm just happy to see him doing well. I know, I know. I feel kind of cheesy, like sitting here and be like, "Isn't it great? Aren't you just so excited to see the Ravens doing well?" But genuinely, I think he is genuinely one of those players that everybody enjoys watching. Like he makes the NFL so much better. Like this league is all the better when he is healthy and thriving and working his magic. And so to see him playing meaningful games down the stretch meaningful games in January is just like it's just kind of a treat for everybody and I think we all deserve it after this season of (laughs) not so great primetime games and just a lot of unpredictability I think we kind of um we deserve to see the the Baltimore Ravens at their best uh and and part of the unpredictability is tonight's game it's the the Eagles taking Mm -hmm. on the Seahawks uh while I write LJ in hearts in my notebook uh can you break down (laughs) what we could see tonight uh like Jalen Hurts injury or uh, sorry, illness uh, sounded like it mm-hmm. wasn't getting better throughout the week. And even if it did, like I, I know Jalen Hurts, uh, far superior athlete to myself, but I, I know if I've been sick for a few days, I'm not just bouncing back uh, right away and I don't have nope. to play professional football. Um, I guess even if he is okay to play tonight, how concerned are we about the Eagles against an okay Seattle Seahawks team? Yeah, this is this is a weird this is a weird matchup in a lot of ways. And yeah, not just because both quarterbacks go into it as like totally questionable and for different reasons. I also cannot imagine hitting the football field, even if I have like a slightly sore throat. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to stay home with my soup. Um, Yeah. They, both of these teams really like they need a win in two very different ways, right? Like the Eagles, we're not worried about them not making the playoffs. They have already clinched, but they really do need that win to kind of right the ship. And also to keep a hold of the NFC East divisional title, right? They've got that right now. They can really capitalize on Dallas's loss yesterday um, with a win that would get just a little bit of separation, help them breathe easier, and kind of prepare for the for the home field advantage. Hopefully, um, Seahawks just need a win. Period. Right? They yeah. they've they're coming off a really bad loss. Um, they are one of those definite like the kind of the quintessential bubble team. Um, they kind of lost their cool last week. I think they they really do need um, a, a right the ship and keep this playoff hope alive kind of win. And it'll be it'll be obviously tough going when you have an Eagles team that we've seen that they can be dominant. We've also seen their weaknesses, but they do have. I think the difference maker here is like they know how to win. They've been there before, and so I think they can kind of like. Um, they have that kind of rallying ability, and I guess we'll see, right? It's a very different game if we have Hurts and Smith in um, than if we have two backup quarterbacks going at it. So we will see. Uh, It should be interesting either way. Uh, Emily, this was a blast. Thank you so much for doing this today, and uh, we'll chat again soon. Sounds great. Thanks so much. Thank you. There is uh, Emily Sadler, writer for Sportsnet.ca. Find her on social media, at Emmy Sadler. Uh, And she joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest 
hotline. All right, that is going to do it for our number one. Uh, it'll be up in podcast form very, very soon, if that is your jam. Coming up in hour number two, it is all getting ready for tonight's game between the Calgary Flames and the Florida Panthers. Obviously, a lot of talking points going into this game. Uh, Matthew Kachuk back at the Dome. I'm sure that will be a warm reception. Uh, Sam Bennett there as well, the former Panthers on the flames are kind of going in opposite directions right now. We will hear from all of the particulars, but coming up next, we will get, uh, as we, we sometimes say around these parts, a view from the other side. As we chat with Doug Plagans, the play-by-play voice of the Florida Panthers, he joins us next to start our number two here on Sportsnet today. My name is Peter Klein, and this is Sportsnet 960 The Fan.